fan for fan line and blessings to you for checking out today's podcast when the deadly tsunami that took the lives of nearly 300,000 people struck the coastal regions of Indonesia India and Sri Lanka on December 26 2004 the world stood still in shock the need was immediate the devastation massive and the humanitarian toll almost unfathomable. Something had to be done, and it was. Nation after nation lined up, lined up to announce massive pledges of relief and aid to help with the disaster. Around $3 billion in initial commitments were made in the first few days following, following the tsunami. <clears throat> the outpouring of concern generated a wave of euphoria and private contributions from U.S. individuals, foundations, and corporations alone topped $1 billion. People in America and Europe especially felt a sense of excitement about their contribution. U.N. Emergency Relief Coordinator Jan Eglin affirmed the, the outburst of competitive compassion. Only weeks after the tragedy, however, <clears throat> world sentiment got decidedly more gloomy. And by early February, UN officials complained that governments had only delivered a fraction of the aid initially promised. Taking note of the phenomenon, one journalist widely observed that what seemed to count, at least in the eyes of the world media, is only that you look compassionate. <clears throat> and he pointed out that when the tsunami, the tsunami struck, excuse me, Canadian Prime Minister Paul Martin immediately flew to the beaches of Sri Lanka and was visibly shaken, according to press, press reports. Then and there, he pledged $425 million in aid from his country. Money was slow to leave Ottawa. However, hypocrisy, of course, isn't the only problem. The World Bank expressed frustration at the end of May that much of the aid sent to Sri Lanka was still stuck in the, on the ground at the docks due to the bureau, bureaucratic regulations and paperwork. In Indonesia, political corruption other, likewise hampered relief efforts. And one report noted that some aid agencies were refusing to hand over a penny of relief aid unless they were sure that the money would not be stolen. Further research had also confirmed that aid is 
inequitably distributed and often only to a government's political friends. Fantline, we'll be back in a moment. Thank you for coming back with us. As I'll continue, none of this sadly is a surprise given the poor track record of previous relief efforts. For example, Robert Mugabe, president of Zimbabwe, profited from protracted international indulgence. Mugabe required those starving in his own country to produce membership cards in his ZANU PF political party if they wanted to receive food aid. In the meantime, he and his cronies helped themselves to other people's land and savings and built helipads for their own missions, excuse me, mansions, while they continued to brutalize anyone who opposed them. And such examples render a sobering truth that sometimes compassion is not enough. Applications of this principle abound. For instance, as much as well-intentioned nations in the West would like to think that more aid and monetary monetary relief will solve Africa's problems, they really should know better. The one campaign to make poverty history provides a case in point. The call of influential voices, including several notable evangelicals, for 100% debt relief of all African nations and the appeal to remove all punitive trade tariffs is one born of good motives. That strategy might work in a more perfect world, but as the economist rightly notes, there is legitimate cause for worry that any hint that such relief might be available would merely encourage bad governments to get themselves back into trouble resulting in more suffering, more than anyone else, more than anyone else, Christians should know that we live in an age of fallen regimes governed by the rulers of the darkness of this age. In the face of the intense suffering of Africa, God's people must not, however, become inert in the U.S. and Europe. They should probably spend a good deal less on their own churches at home and a good deal more on local churches and ministries in Africa that are directly meeting the greatest needs. Christians can likewise press for financial incentives for those African governments, keeping their promises to make democratic and economic reforms. And such a beginning just might make churches in the West more Christ-like than utopia, more thoughtfully loving and less naive. <clears throat> and this is so true. How many times have we seen those commercials saying, if you give so much money, and, and, and it'd be a small sum, that this money can feed a child for for so many days or whatever 
and you see the 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 little children and they, they got the big pot belly stomachs, not from overeating, but from starvation and their stomachs bloat. And I, I recall, you know, like I said, all the commercials that they put out, but then to come to find out that much of the aid that goes over there and money is stolen by rebels stolen by corrupt governments, mismanaged by corrupt governments. And then those people continue on a path of starvation. And yet the government itself and churches also continue to blindly send money and supplies over there without first having some sort of, how to put this, uh, regulation, so to speak, or some sort of um, strict guidance on how the money should be handled, how the aid should get to the people. But it, it seems like, and just just like what I, what I, what I mentioned here, it seemed like it's it's, it's about compassion. Oh, just as long as we're showing compassion, everything is cool. Everything is all right. But it's not all right because the people are still starving. The people are still going without the, the, the resources needed to survive. And we as a nation, now <clears throat> we say we like to give, but there should be some responsibility behind the giving. That's like <clears throat> saying a homeless person comes up to you, but you know that this homeless person is a drug addict. But yet you give this, this homeless person money and knowing good and well they're going to squander the money on drugs instead of uh, they they come up to you and say, "Hey, I, I'm hungry. I need food." And then you give them money, thinking that they're actually going to get food, and then they're going to go out and <clears throat> they're going to go out and get drugs. I myself, I've had some of them approach me, and the Holy Spirit will let me know, okay, this person is legit. Or this person, or even if the person is not legit, I'll put them to the test. I'll um, they'll say, "Well, I'm hungry. Uh, I need money for food." I said, "Okay." And this part of the t the test would be, "Well, there's this McDonald's or Burger King down the street here. I'll go get you some food to make sure that you eat." And most notably. Nine times out of 10, they'll go ahead and say, oh, that's okay. Now I know they're lying. Now, if they don't say anything and say, yes, they'll, you know, they greatly appreciate it, I'll go ahead and get them the food and then I'll help them out monetarily. So I know that it's not going to waste. But that's how we, as churches and the government, should be. Toward, the, toward Africa and other countries like that. Well, that's it for today's podcast. 
please feel free to comment and share. And if you feel led to give a donation, I gratefully appreciate your support. And I leave you with this word from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Enough said. Thank <laughs> you.